Welcome to Go Behind the Ballot, a podcast where two Texas moms go on an educational quest to demystify Texas politics. Join me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, as we deep dive into the most burning issues, hear stories from candidates, and offer hope in these challenging political times. Let's saddle up and go behind the ballot. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Go Behind the Ballot. I am Claire Campos O'Neill. And I am Nicole Abshire. And this is a breaking episode, special news. We are interrupting our culture war series once again because we think it's very timely and relevant. The Texas legislature will be beginning January 10th, Tuesday, January 10th for the 88th session. So we wanted to put our culture wars series on pause and share some information with y'all about what that means, what that's all about, who are the key players, what to pay attention to, uh, because this podcast is about Texas politics and so much of that resides in the Texas legislature. Right, Nicole? Yes, Exactly. And I'm going to be paying attention. (laughs) I'm just stating that so everybody holds me accountable. I will be paying attention this time around because full confession, everyone, this is this is new ground for me. No worries. Um, I paid a little bit more attention in the past, but I will pay attention in a completely new way this time around. So we're going to do it together. And hopefully y'all listening will come along on this journey with us as well. And perhaps we'll meet each other in person at the Capitol at some point between January 10th and May 29th. So the first little factoid I want to share with y'all, and we're just going to share some information about what to expect in this episode. The first thing I want to share is that the Texas legislature meets every other year, odd number years, for 140 calendar days. So this is where people from all across Texas representatives come to Austin and they pass new bills. The one thing that they must do is pass the budget. And a big thing that's on everyone's lips is that there is a budget surplus. The Texas Comptroller, y'all might remember that that person, that representative from our past episode about statewide offices, he's the guy who counts the money, collects taxes, and he his name is Glenn Hagar. He was reelected in 2022, and he has told legislators that there's going to be a $27 billion surplus. It might actually even be more than that. So there's going to be a lot of action happening around this pot of money, how to spend it, and what to do with it. And there's also limits on that too, True, which I've learned about. So it's not just free monopoly money to spend, however. Uh, there are limits on the amount. I was tr- I was trying to understand the cap, Claire. Yeah, it's and confusing. It is very confusing. So Yeah. There's money, but like with strings, <laughs> I suppose. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that is definitely something to pay attention to is how is this money that can be spent going to be spent? Some of the things that we've read as we've done our research for this show is that there's a lot of uh, talk of property tax relief. So I guess giving some of that money back to taxpayers or perhaps this is something But let's be specific uh, though, taxpayers who own property. True. True. Yes. Because I think that's important, right? That cuts out. There are quite a few people who do not own property, can't afford to own property. Our property taxes in Texas are quite high. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a good point to make. And I guess I'll piggyback on that 
putting on my realtor hat, um, a lot of people who I would work with who are renters would be like, well, I rent, so I don't pay property taxes. And I was like, oh, you do. When you pay your rent, your your homeowner is considering that in the amount that they're going to set for you. So let's say that property tax relief does happen. I highly doubt that homeowners are going to lower rental rates. So that's a good point. But you are paying property taxes one way or another. It's just who is really going to see that relief. So yeah, that's a good point, Nicole. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I saw from my research that rose to the top was the Speaker of the House Dade Phelan, who may continue to be the speaker, may not, depends on who they vote on. Uh, Something he is interested in is infrastructure and investing in infrastructure in our state, which we really need. I mean, duh, we know this. Like this past, this past winter, I mean, we're still in winter, but this past December, we had high temperatures and low temperatures. And whenever those low temperatures come now, people are like, is my power going to stay on? Is this grid going to stay together and like not fail us again. So infrastructure investment is on his mind. So that's a good thing. That is a good thing. And a reminder too, right? That infrastructure is, I mean, I feel like we tend at this point because of what happened, um, not last winter, but the winter before. Yeah. We tend to think about the grid, but this also includes roads, right? This includes pipes. And we all know about boil water notices in our Mm -hmm. cities. We know that Odessa had a major um, water event last summer where they they didn't have water, I think, for at least two days. So it's, it includes a lot of the basic services that we take for granted that could use upgrades. Absolutely. Yeah, take for granted is a good way to put it because it's one of those things where you don't notice it until it's broken and then you're panicked because it does really impact your daily, your, your day-to-day experience. So we we need to make sure that the there's money there. So why not put it into these things so that our lives can keep running smoothly and reduce that friction? Because when you have to boil your water, that really messes things up or you can't use your your dishwasher or your your um the other thing is for your clothes, washing machine, <laughs> because they're like conserve power. That's tough, especially if you have little children, speaking from experience. So yeah, let's um I'm with you, Dade. Let's do it. Um, Nicole, what was something else that you noticed as a top uh, priority? Priority, thank you. Uh, that, yes. that folks have been chattering about for this session. Um, I would say the border, right? And border spending. And it looks like there is support for continuing Operation Lone Star um, and securing the border. So I noticed that as something that seemed to be bubbling up on a lot of people's radar. Um, there's also, of course, the education talk, um, which boy, oh boy, there's a lot of, well, it's just interesting, I guess, to me from the conversations we've had in our education series, um, and what feels like the priorities in public education versus what I hear are the legislative priorities. So it sounds like, um, well, maybe just let me pause for a moment and remind everyone that Both of our chambers, our House and our Senate, are Republican-controlled, along with our governor and lieutenant governor. And so what that means is that a lot of these conversations are, of course, happening on sort of one side of the political spectrum. And so while we have had many conversations about public education, 
the conversations that I am reading about will be the priority in this this legislative session will be based around um, vouchers, parental choice, um, and those issues not necessarily propping up public ISDs. So... Yeah, that's a a really good point to bring up, Nicole. It reminds me of this interview I heard recently with Evan Smith, who has been, I think, the CEO of the Texas Tribune, but he's stepping down and he's still going to be a Texas Tribune, but in a different capacity. Uh, But he had some really interesting insights alluding to that, saying that Texas is controlled by one party. Democrats basically sit at the kids' table, that they don't have real power because they're in the minority. And it's more an issue of, I guess, traditional Republicans versus ultra-right Republicans. And that's the tension that you see in what's going to be where the wheeling and dealing is going to happen is amongst them, while Democrats are kind of off to the side trying to influence when and when they can. Uh, but they're the ones driving the bus, so to speak. So we'll see where they drive it. We really hope that regarding public education, it's driven towards supporting our educators, increasing pay, uh, allotting more funds for ISDs that need it. Um, and something that is heartening to me is it's, it's not like, you know, all Republicans are like, no, no, let's not do that. There are some out there who are like, yeah, we absolutely need to make sure public education is a priority. Um, as a matter of fact, I saw a news art, uh, like little news clip where they, the reporter was talking to Representative James Tallarico, friend of the podcast. He was on our show and also Representative Gary Van Dever, who's a Republican. And he was talking about, um, school security. And he said, school security needs to be prioritized. Hello, we had Uvalde back in May, and we still really haven't had any um, legislative changes because of that. But he was saying school safety needs to be more than just about hardening buildings, about, you know, making sure no one can get into the building. It has to be about mental health and addressing these multifaceted issues that create these conditions where we have kids carrying out mass massacres. So I appreciate that he said that. And I am hopeful that um, some of these folks who might be way out of where we would land can be brought back into the fold and reasoned with. So we'll see where we go. Yeah. I'm reminded of the conversation we had about the alignment between rural Republicans. I always struggle with that word, rural, (laughs) and um, urban Democrats, that, that there is common ground in that they all want to preserve public ISDs. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Um, something needs to happen because we're losing our poor teachers. It's they 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 need more money. Texas is getting more expensive uh, compared to the rest of the nation. We are still a, an affordable state, but it's gotten a lot more expensive to live here over the past few years. So we need to make sure that teachers can live close to the schools they're working at because that's a big problem when they have to move outside, you know, a few cities over. And what I've heard is happening is as, as they're driving through their cities, they're like, maybe I'll just actually work closer to my home. So hopefully things will be done to address that. Um, yeah, you nailed on a ton of the things that I noticed as well, Nicole. Uh, there was an article. I don't know, there's something I read that said the issues, the top issues they anticipate for this 88th legislative session will be border security, taxes, abortion, and education. 
So we'll see what happens regarding all of those. In regards to abortion, which we haven't touched on yet, um, in the last legislative session, they passed SB 8, which was the one that effectively banned abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. And there weren't, from my understanding, any exemptions baked into that, except for like the health, the life of the mother, which is still really fuzzy. So they're trying to see, work on that because where it, where it stands now is is far right for is a little too extreme even for a lot of Republicans. So we might see some tinkering with that in this next session. Um, did you come across that too, Nicole? I didn't. I will say maybe, and I don't want to derail us right now if you're kind of, you know, on a really good track here, but I actually did a lot of research more on how bills are passed. Oh yeah. So that's what I was going to share is just some basic information about that. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, let me share this, and then and then that'd be great if you tell us a little bit more about the 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 sausage, how the sausage is made. Uh, so there was this professor Cal Jilson from Southern Methodist University. He's a political science professor who said there will be about seven thousand new laws proposed in Texas, but only about twenty percent of those will actually become law. So that's interesting. That's about 1,400, which is still a lot, um, but it kind of tells you the way it it distills down. So Nicole, tell us, how does that distillation process happen? Well, of course, it's complicated, um, but I at least wanted to understand the, the broad structure of how it works. And then, of course, there's obviously many more details. So um, I will give the broad way, which is, you know, that legislator's file bills. And then those bills are assigned to committees. And I think there's nine, at least nine people that serve on a committee. And so then within the committee, they have to consider each bill that they've been assigned. And then depending on the vote, that bill is still alive, or essentially is sort of dead at that point. If it is still alive, then it gets scheduled to be heard about on the floor of either the Senate or the House chamber. And basically things have to be heard multiple times. I think it has to be at least heard at least three times on the floor. Then if it's still alive, it moves to the other chamber. So if it originated in the House and it makes it through all of those steps, then it goes over to the Senate to be heard. And of course, vice versa. If it originated in the Senate, it makes it through all those steps of being heard three times then it moves over to the house. Um, and then at that point, once it's been heard both places, um, then it goes up for a vote, right? Oh right. my gosh, I'm starting to lose it. Yeah. And, and then after that, it can be signed into law by the governor. But yes. there's lots and lots of steps. And so obviously those are just the really, really broad strokes. But I will say this heartened me, which is that the legislature has a really good resource with a flow chart oh. that actually has all of this laid out in a concise way that I found really easy to comprehend. And then also before it gets to the flow chart, this document has more in-depth written description of this of the steps. So it gives you both the words and the visuals. So we're going to link that, of course, in our episode description. But for anybody wondering, 
I actually found that to be a really helpful resource. Yeah, I love a good flow chart. Ooh, me too. It's helpful. And isn't it nice that our government made it? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I, you know, I have this, I need to stop this, but when I'm researching stuff and I'm directed to like a, gov- a .gov website, I'm like, oh, it's going to be terrible. But more often than not, lately I've been like, this is actually very concise, great information. Thank you, government. <laughs> yes, yes. This one I give high praise to. Yeah. Well, that is great to know. And as a reminder, all of this happens between January and May, between that 140 calendar days, which is crazy. Is it enough time? Many people would say no, but this is the system we have here in Texas. And my understanding is that the beginning is kind of slow. It takes a minute to get the gears going and then things get like really intense as as you get closer to the end of session and they try to cram a lot of stuff in at the end. And th- we're talking also about the regular session. The governor of Texas does have the ability to call special sessions. So let's say they that they all, all the legislators come into Austin, they gavel out end of session, and there was things that didn't get accomplished that he wanted to get accomplished. He has the ability to make everybody come back for another special session. And this happened twice last session after the last regular session. So, Yes. And maybe people too will remember after Uvalde, a lot of people were hoping that the governor would call a special session to address the issues that, of course, were a result of, of that mass shooting. Mm-hmm. Yep. He yep. didn't call one, but yes, they are yeah. used for issues of the governor's discretion. That's right. Yeah. The governor has a lot of power. He has veto power. He can, he, they can, bills can go through that whole process. Nicole described, get almost to the finish line and he has the ability to say nope and veto them. So also very important mechanism that he holds. Which is maybe also a good time to bring up leadership and the importance of it and the influence that they have. Right. So when Claire mentioned Dade Phelan as the speaker of the house or was in the last session and maybe will be again. And then, so he presides over the house and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick presides over the Senate and they have a lot of power, all the power basically in determining what bills make it to which committee, to which ones get heard on the floor. And so they also have a lot of power. Mm -hmm. Lots of power for sure. Um, I don't think I said this at the top, but I meant to. The Texas House of Representatives is comprised of 150 members. Um, So these are smaller land masses, you know, more like up the people because they represent fewer people. And then the Texas Senate has 31 members. And something interesting I learned doing my research was that our Texas Senate districts are bigger than our U.S. congressional districts. So your Texas senator represents more people than your U.S. Congress person. So they have a lot uh, of constituents that they are responsible for. Um, I also learned that there's going to be 26 incoming freshmen this legislative session. So that means legislators who have never been there before, who are going to be learning the ins and outs, the process, building relationships. Um, and that's a, a pretty good amount considering, like, and I think they're all on the House side. I think they're all going to be uh, 
House members. So out of the 150, 26 will be brand new. Freshmen. And Claire and I had the opportunity to hear from some of those incoming freshmen members of the house. And it was really lovely. They were very very optimistic, very optimistic, (laughs) very uh, open to engaging with the quote other side. Um, So, I mean, if there are any indication, it it could, it could be a very cooperative session. I hope that they are representative of what all members of each chamber, how they will embrace the session. Mm -hmm. Agree. Yeah. It was a nice conversation. And I, I think that, because it is such a large body, hopefully they can just invigorate and have that newness and hopefully their optimism will rub off on other people and we'll see some cooperation. Um, Because at the end of the day, this rings in in my head over and over uh, from our conversation that we had with the awesome ladies with uh, Blue Horizon, that people want leaders who solve problems. They are there to spend the money that we pay and hopefully it's spent in a good thoughtful way and impacts us for the better that's what i want that's what i want too yes all right well there's other things we can discuss and we will discuss in our mini this week we're going to talk about some of the bills that we're really excited about and some that were a little like oh no please don't get passed um but anything else you can think of nicole that we should share before we sign off Well, I know in the episode notes, we're going to include, like I said, that resource for the ways that bills become laws in Texas. Um, I also wanted to highlight that in the show notes, the episode notes, there will be, there's a monitoring site for bills and maybe actually I'll save that. Pardon me, everybody. We'll let that move to our Thursday mini episode. But here is a resource that will be in this episode description, which is a legislative glossary. It was really helpful. I didn't know what an engrossed bill was. I saw that word and thought, I have no idea what that means. And that um, glossary helped me to understand. So we'll also include a link to that legislative glossary so that if you hear terms that are making you scratch your head, you have a quick place to go and look it up. Absolutely. And you are probably not alone. A lot of people, I'm sure, don't understand this insider speak. And it's okay to say, can you explain that to me? I'm not really sure. And if they make you feel dumb, that's silly because this is complicated and ask questions. Yes. The other day, yeah, I think I asked a question of something very simple that I was like, oh, yeah, I knew that. But whatever. Clarification is never a bad thing. Right. I, it's, I've just learned to get comfortable with that risk of feeling a little, you know, uninformed and just realizing that it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's perfectly fine and to totally fine. be a little bit uninformed, but be willing to learn. So, um, but I also, can I not leave people with the question mark of what is an engrossed bill? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let me just read scratch it Scratch that itch. What? Yeah. <laughs> it is the stage in a bill's legislative progress when it has been passed by the chamber in which it was filed and all amendments to the bill have been incorporated into the text of the bill, which is then forwarded to the second house for consideration. I know that was such a mouthful, but hopefully that made sense. It's like, yeah. it's done everything it can do in the chamber in which it originated. And now it's ready to go to the other chamber. Yeah. That's an interesting word. Engrossed. I know. 
<laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah, it's like, it makes me think of like a, a bill that's gone through puberty, but like isn't quite an adult. <laughs> like yeah, an adolescent bill. Yeah, yeah, an adolescent bill. That's hilarious. Oh, and nice. by the way, that also that resource is from our government. So yet again, we get to shout out the Texas government for a, a great resource. Great. Well, thank you, Texas employees who put that together. We appreciate it, especially right. when it's easy to follow. Yes. Tell it to me like I'm five sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't yet, please sign up for our newsletter. We're going to have some of this information included there as well. And uh, stay tuned for our Thursday show where we're going to talk about some of the bills that we are keeping our eye on because we love them or we hate them, to be honest. Okay. Talk to you later. Thank you, everybody, for joining me, Nicole Abshire, and my co-host, Claire Campos O'Neill, on Go Behind the Ballot. Hopefully, we've demystified some little portion of Texas politics, and we hope that you'll do more with us. Check out our website at www.gobehindtheballot.com, where you'll find links to all of our social media, and you will find our community. Let's join together and do more. We hope you'll let us know what is working, and we hope you'll join us next week. Thanks, everybody, and have a good one.